Let's put our hands together one more time and thank God for this wonderful band. Absolutely phenomenal. My name is Matthew Hawkins. I'm one of the pastors here at Desert. Let's give him a hand too. The, the wonderful. <laughs> thank you. One of the pastors here at Desert Springs. I'm just excited to continue to preach on our Mark sermon series. We are beginning or continuing as a church family um, in a church-wide study of the gospel as recorded by Mark. Um, as a church family, we exist to not only um, work on our own salvation, our own relationship with Jesus, but to encourage and to hold each other accountable um, as our brothers and our sisters grow in Jesus. Um, one of the ways that we encourage um, all of the members here at Desert Springs to grow is by taking the necessary next steps. We just saw a massive next step um, through baptism. And on this wonderful graphic, it's just a way for us to display multiple next steps that we as Jesus followers um, should take. One of those that are natural um, right out of Mark and right out of the sermon that we're talking about today um, is to join a missional community. Now, some of you guys are asking, what is a missional community? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> missional communities are basically just a group of folks who are trying to follow Jesus. They get together, they have discussions, they ask tough questions, and they build a community. They meet in multiple places during multiple times throughout the week. And if you want more information about joining a missional community, making that particular next step, you can see information on the screen right in front of you. Um, there's a link here. Also, right outside of these double doors, as we've mentioned earlier, off to the left, you'll see folk, folks with uh, Direct and Connect shirts, red shirts, saying Direct and Connect, and they'll help you get connected and plugged into a missional community. Awesome. Let us pray as we read and hear from God's word. Join me. Lord Jesus, we need you and we cannot do anything without you. God, I pray you will create in us a clean heart. You'll renew in us a right spirit. You'll give us ears to hear this word that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. If you can hear me, say amen. If your house was broken, messed up, needed repair, you would call a handyman. If you had issues with your car, you would call or reach out to a mechanic. If your cell phone was not working, you would probably go back to whoever sold you the cell phone expecting that they fix it. If your grades were terrible, especially right now, early in the school year, you might want to call a tutor. But what do you do when your life is falling apart? Who do you call? <laughs> I always hear, yes, Ghostbusters. In Mark 4, 35 through 41, it teaches us what to do in the middle of a crisis, what to do in the middle of a storm. A great boxer once said, everybody's got plans until they get punched in the face. 
Everybody has all these great ideas about what they might do or what they will do until reality hits in a very tangible way. I studied theology um, for several years in Wenham, Massachusetts, Gordon College. And it was great to theorize and to talk about uh, high philosophical things and theological ideas. But when I got in the thick of it, relationally, financially, theories and high theological discussions did not help my practical religion move to a personal relationship. It is vital, absolutely vital, to answer this question, what do we do in the middle of a crisis? If my dad were here, he would say, when your money is funny and your change is strange, friends are few and facts begin to fade, who will you depend on? The text begs us to ask this question very simply, what do you do? In the middle of a crisis, the answer is you remember. Real change happens when we are forced to face our desperate need for a savior, Jesus, our greatest hope. What do you do in the middle of a crisis? You remember. Because real change happens when we are forced to face our desperate need for a savior, for Jesus, our only hope. As a kid, I was trying to impress these girls at a big water park. I've told this story before. And I started to drown. By the time I got to the end of this slide and I have to face reality that, hey, I don't, I don't know how to swim. <laughs> I started to drown. And immediately, I mean immediately, after coughing up water, thinking that it's over, thinking that this is how I'm going out, my older brother reaches to the back of my neck and pulls me out of this little pool. I'm on the side, a bunch of people have come, lifeguards. I'm trying to breathe, throwing up water, snot coming out of my nose, looking real cool in front of the ladies. <laughs> and he, and, and I, I promise you, as soon as I saw my older brother, everything else just faded. I saw my older brother differently. I saw my older brother as somebody that was capable, somebody that was strong, somebody that was all of a sudden responsible. I forgot about drowning. I forgot about the ladies. My life had already flashed before my eyes. All I could think about was the one who saved me. I thanked my older brother couldn't help but focus on who he was and what he was able to do. What do you do? In the middle of a crisis, you remember Jesus. Real change happens when we are forced to face our desperate need for a savior, just like I was forced to face the fact that I needed my older brother to literally save my life. Watch 
And keep your Bibles open to see what happens in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says, On that day, when evening had come, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. The other side of the sea in this context means that they are literally going to go across the water to where the Gentiles are, the non-Jewish folks. They are literally going to cross the water in a boat. They could have taken the land, but they chose to take, Jesus chose to take the water. Could have took the land, but Jesus chose to take the water. Verse 36 So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat. He, this is Jesus. And other boats were with him. Jesus leaves the crowd. He is physically exhausted. 100% God, 100% Jesus, 100% God, 100% man in one. But this man, Jesus, is physically exhausted. We know he is tired because we find out more facts about the story in the next few verses. Jesus is not tired of the work, my mama would say, but he is tired in the work. Being tired of the work is leave me alone. Ain't nobody got time for this. I need some alone time. Tired in the work is being recognized for the fact that I am called to this, I was born for this, but my body is physically tired and I need to take a break so I can recharge and get up and get after it again. Tired in the work. And great, a great windstorm arose, verse 37, and the waves were breaking over the boat. Somebody say it's bad. So that the boat was already being swamped. It's being consumed. Gallons and gallons and gallons of water is coming into the boat. He was in the stern, verse 38, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care? We're going to die. People, this is a crazy storm. This is chaos. This is bad. Now, these are experienced fishermen. This is not their first storm. This is not their first rodeo, so to speak. These guys have been in the Sea of Galilee tons and tons of times. And they have seen storms a bunch of times. But we know that this storm was extraordinary because they literally thought they were going to die. Told you I was a theology student, Gordon College. They sent a bunch of us to Israel, Palestine, to travel for five months, to live there, to eat the food, to go to the physical places throughout Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament, and to see where Jesus walked, it was a mind-blowing experience. Life-changing. Made my faith just come alive. 
one of the places that we went to was the Sea of Galilee. And when I saw the Sea of Galilee and heard about all the stories in the Sea of Galilee, I was like, this is it? This little tiny thing? <laughs> but it's, it's crazy how some of the smallest situations can turn into life-threatening things on the Sea of Galilee, on the western side, and immediately we get out of our bus and we see these restaurants on tops of stilts, high, lifted up. And then we come up to a sign, and I'm paraphrasing, but the sign basically says, if a storm happens, sudden aggressive storm, which was very common for the Sea of Galilee, if a storm happens, Leave the restaurant immediately, get in your car, and go home. Because they knew that a sudden storm, an erratic, inconsistent, crazy weather pattern type storm, could bring that parking lot under 10 feet of water in a matter of an hour. And you don't want to be anywhere near these, this, this restaurant or this food or this parking lot when it hits. This was the kind of storm that Jesus and the disciples, the followers of Jesus, were in. A storm so aggressive that they felt that it was necessary to go to Jesus and be like, look, dude, we kind of need you right now. It's funny. Verse 38 Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. We know Jesus was exhausted physically because he got a cushion. That was real deep, huh? I know. We know Jesus wanted to sleep because he planned the whole thing out. It's like... Having one of those neck cushions when you're getting on the airplane, it's communicating to everybody. I'm not here to chit-chat. <laughs> My purpose for this neck cushion here is to go to sleep, not talk, be left alone while I'm sitting in between all y'all. Jesus has this cushion. And he literally goes to sleep. This is massive. Theologically speaking, this is massive. Studying God, this is massive because we see God, literally God, wrapped in human flesh, physically needing to sleep. But something happens while he's sleeping. All hell breaks loose. For the disciples. And when they go to Jesus, they have an amazing question. They basically say, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you can see it right behind me. Don't you know that we're going to die, Jesus? Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like you knew what was going on until you didn't know what was going on and things turned so quickly 
that all of your emotions, all of your feelings, all of your everything just goes out the window and you become desperate. You become overwhelmed. You become scared. You become afraid. And you cry out and you say, don't you know Don't you know, Jesus, that she is about to die? Don't you know that he is getting on my last nerve? Don't you know, Jesus, that I have no idea how to raise these kids? Don't you know, Jesus, that I did everything I could and the bank account is still looking the same? Don't you know, Jesus, that I tried to take two steps forward with every piece of motivation that I possibly could, but it seems like life, seems like this storm is just pushing me back in such a way that I don't know what I'm going to do. Have you ever been there? Or is it just me? When you feel like giving up, Bible says, so they wake him up. Say to him, teacher, that's interesting. Don't you care that we're going to die? Crazy, things, crazy thing is, if this text is true, which it is, Jesus already knows that the storm is going to happen. And if he knows that the storm is going to happen, why does he go to sleep? It's like your best player on the team decides they ain't going to play. It's like the one who's there to protect the house all of a sudden just decides anybody can come in and do whatever they want and I'm not going to step up. And it brings this amazing question that I don't know about you, but I've asked hundreds and thousands of times, Jesus don't you care? Whether you're a Jesus follower or you're far from God, I know you've asked this question. Maybe you didn't say Jesus. Maybe you didn't say God. But something inside of you was basically begging and saying, can I get some help up in here? Is there hope anywhere? Jesus. In a stern, surely if he can control weather, he can predict it. And if he can predict it, then he should have stopped it. Disciples are in fear for their lives in the middle of a terrible situation. And it seems like God has set them up for failure. What do you do when life seems like it's set up for you to fail? Mark records this question, not only showing how frail and faithless these Jesus followers were, but he, sh he shares this question with us, I believe, so he knows, so he can tell us, and so we can know that it's okay to say, hey, Jesus, don't you care about me? 
kind of invites me in and he invites you in to ask this massive question. Hey, God, what is going on? What's happening? We're still in the middle of a story reading this text, but, but, but don't miss this. How to respond in the middle of a crisis? Here's a hint. Call on something or someone that has enough power to do something about it. What to do when everything is just crumbling around you? This is not an opportunity for you to get cocky. This is not an opportunity for me to act like I know it all. This is an opportunity for me to look to somebody who can literally pull me out of what's drowning me. He got up after they tell Jesus to wake up and instantly he rebukes the wind, verse 39, and said to the sea, silence, be still. The older version says, peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was great calm. I love what one of the pastors says about this text. He says, when, when Jesus says the word rebuke, we all know it's the Greek word that basically says stop. Again, stop and continue to stop. Basically says, get on time out and stay there. Jesus literally looks at the storm and says, rebuke, which basically is to say, like I say to my 10-year-old when he asks me to drive, be quiet, peace, silence, you little child. You ain't driving my car. Jesus puts the storm on timeout. He rebukes the storm. Not only this is massive, don't miss this moment. I know for some of you guys, you might have heard this story before, but don't miss this massive point. Not only does he immediately speak to the wind and the waves and they stop. But everything else that this storm hit, all of that stops too. Imagine how long it takes to calm the Sea of Galilee. Imagine how many hours it takes for every single piece of water to be still. I don't know if you hear the sermon in this. I don't know if you hear the shout. By your sound, it sounds like you're not getting it. So let me bring it a little closer to you. No matter what you are going through right now, no matter how terrible it seems, no matter how discouraging it seems, no matter how over, no, it doesn't matter how overwhelmed you feel right now, you can have confidence in this simple fact that when Jesus speaks, everything changes. I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your own life, but let me tell you, young man, old man, young lady, 
old lady, or like I probably should say, seasoned saints, <laughs> guests, friends, skeptics, everybody. Matthew Hawkins, this guy right here, has seen God come in the middle of a situation and in moments transform everything. Here's a question. Whether you're convinced or not, what else can speak to a situation and change it immediately? Tell me. I'll wait. Who else has the power to speak to the wind and the waves and immediately they cease? Why is this a big deal? Well, everybody knows in that particular time, it was common that if you were able to speak to wind and waves that you had to be God. Rabbinic literature tells you that those who say that they can calm storms, those folks are committing blasphemy. They are basically disrespecting the real true God. Jesus does not say, I am able to calm storms. He literally speaks to the storm and he shows them that he's able. I don't know about you. I heard one of y'all wanting to say amen right there. Go on, let it loose. I don't know about you, but I don't need somebody just talking all the time. I need somebody that can show up and change my situation. They awake Jesus. He shows up and he speaks and everything changes. First time in history, it's recorded that Jesus, human flesh wrapped Jesus, human flesh wrapped God speaks and the wind behaves. Verse 40 says, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? All right, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jesus. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Jesus. You mean to tell me this is literally the worst storm I have ever seen in my life. So much so that I thought that I was about to die. I cried out woke you up the best that I could, the, the best that I had. You calm the storm, you fix everything, and then you look at me and you tell me that I have no faith. Hold on, Jesus, wait a minute. Why would you say something like that, Jesus? Why would you tell me that I have no faith? It feels like a smack in the face. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Well, Jesus, let's start with the fact that it was hopeless. <laughs> That's, let's start there. It was hopeless. And then you come along and you fix everything. I'm still, I'm still a little afraid. Still a, little, still a little hurt, still a little nervous. Verse 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is massive. Don't miss this. 
This is the first part of uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, that they use the phrase great fear. It is to say that the initial fear that I had, that was like level one fear. But after I saw you, Jesus, do all this crazy stuff, now I'm really afraid. <laughs> this, is, this is that reverence type fear. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie, uh, Taken. If you haven't, I don't necessarily recommend it, but if you... <laughs> you happen to watch it there's this part basically the movie is a girl gets kidnapped and her dad who she doesn't know has all these superpowers he, like he's amazing he can do all these great things she doesn't know that she gets kidnapped he comes to save her and when she sees him doing all these amazing things she's like I was scared of them but who are you it's that moment in time when, like when I was drowning, I saw my older brother in a completely different light. Don't miss this. When the storm comes, it's natural to be afraid. But when Jesus shows up and you experience God in a real way, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but if you've experienced Jesus in a real way, this has happened to you. He has shown up in such a way that you forget all about what you just went through and all you can think about is what he did and who he is. They say, I was afraid of the storm, but I have a different type of fear for the storm silencer. This is huge. Because this creates this idea of awe, reverence, and wonder. That's it. That's all I got. What does it say? Why do you freak out in the middle of crisis? Why do I freak out in the middle of crisis? What should I do in the middle of a crisis? What should you do in the middle of a crisis? Remember. Real change happens when we are forced to face our desperate need for a savior, for Jesus, our only hope. Three things to remember real quick. Remember, storms are a part of life. I can say all day, God, I want a miracle. But I can't be shocked by the fact that mess happens before the miracle. With every miracle, Oftentimes, there's mess involved. It's going to get hard. Things will punch you in the face. Figuratively speaking, things will hit you and knock the wind out of you. But don't be shocked. Recognize that Jesus is present in the middle of a hard time. Number two. What to do in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of a storm? Remember, what should I remember? Not only should I remember that storms are a part of life. With or without Jesus, storms will come. But number two, if he was able to get me out before, he can do it again. 
Why is that a massive point? Because I have to remember who I'm working with. I have to remember what I'm connected to. I have to remember who he is. I know you all believe this. I know track record and receipts matter to you. I know they do because when most of you walked into this room, none of you guys looked at the chairs beneath you and said, are you going to hold me? Are you going to hold me up? Many of you have been in a chair before, and you know if a chair looks like that one looks, then it is dependable to do what a chair is supposed to do. If you've seen God do amazing things before, you can sit with confidence knowing that he can do it again. And finally, we got to remember, we have to remember that God demands awe and wonder. When we see God, when we see Jesus at work, we can't help but forget about all of the drama and all of the mess because he looks so beautiful. He looks so good. He's so transformative. What to do in the middle of a crisis? Remember, what am I remembering, preacher? Remembering storms are a part of life. Remember, if he did it before, he can do it again. And remember, he commands and he demands awe and wonder. Let us pray.